Good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is Sunday, May 2nd, 2021. As you know, on Sunday mornings, we are in our Remember Secure Sons series. This morning, we'll be taking new and important steps in the process of transformation into secure sons as we remember through the book of Deuteronomy. Look, we sincerely hope that you're having as good of a time as we are on Wednesday nights in our reflection series. Getting to look back on the status change, the granting of sonship to men like Mephibosheth. Pass me them green beans. Mm, give me that mashed potatoes. Men that were granted, but they also grew. Men who gained further transformation until they were governing their own lives, their own households, and even their own sons. In other words, becoming just like the one who granted them sonship in the first place. This morning, we're going to jump straight into the text of Deuteronomy so that we can advance from step one to step due. <laughs> I'm talking about uh, the sequel, <laughs> 33 and a third. <laughs> Are you, uh, you ready? We're going to begin at step one in Deuteronomy 4.9. Only be careful and watch yourselves yes. closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Look, I hope it's becoming very clear to you that remembering is an important part of sonship. We have to be careful to review the mighty acts of the Lord. Or they have a way of slowly slipping, seeping out of your deceitful little hearts. And we don't want that. No. It's an amazing thing when God gives you a first step, a step one. See, without taking this step one very seriously, it is easy to end up saying all the right words when in fact they have just become words. When our words are robbed of the initial transforming power that you originally experienced. That's why God has given us step one. So you will go back and understand, you will remember, and you will get to relive those very first moments so that your words are no longer powerless. Mm. That's so true. Look, church, if, if we're not careful, what we once experienced as lively expressions, have then become just corporate mottos that we utter with no power. That's why we need to focus on the end of verse 9 here in Deuteronomy 4. It says, as long as you live and teach them to your children. Every step we discuss will be a lifetime process and never a one-time event. They are intended to produce personal ongoing transformation and transformation that extends through the generations. So let's take a look at what the passage goes on to say. Remember the day you stood before the Lord, your God at Horeb. You know how important that is not to become a corporate motto. Do you know how important that is to not just be a story that you tell? And every time you tell it, it loses a little more feeling. Do you get how important it is to your children and your children's children. Yes. 
See, it provides purpose your entire life and it shapes generations forever. Remember the day you stood before the Lord, yes. your God, at Horeb. When he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. Step one in becoming or step one in building secure sons is that our story. No, I should rather say God's testimony in us. Come on. Amen. Yeah. Well, it begins with the day that you stood in the Lord's presence for the first time. Reliving that, retelling that, carrying it through the generations is a practical part of your daily life. Amen. Is essential. Amen. That remembrance is supposed to remind you of what did you experience the day that you stood before the Lord? What did you feel? What was he moving upon your heart with? Church, we need to remember that. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Oh, we need to, to do more than just remember that. We need to relive it. We need to go and retell it. And in the process, we continually revive it. You could stand around and say, I've surrendered my life to the full-time call. I've received his substitutionary propitiation for my sins. <laughs> But somehow or another, although those words are completely accurate and perfect, flawless in their expression, they have no power because they are not you telling your story. They're words taught by men. And then we wonder why our generations go to hell as our lives fade every day after your salvation. It's not supposed to be that way. In fact, every time I remember that day, I relive the initial awareness of being filled with purpose for the first time. Of knowing that my life had significance for the first time. Truthfully, I often still get, I'm doing it now, the same skin-tingling skin sensation that I am empowered to be pleasing to Him. Amen. Often I find myself immersed in the Father's love. I find it welling up in my soul and it's... It's truthfully the only part of my day where it also wells up in my eyes to where I overflow with tears. Amen. We have to relive this. Amen. As we're reliving this and remembering, every time I focus in and remember that day, it bursts in me something that I immediately want to retell of God's overwhelming nature, of his overwhelming power enveloping me, and I could feel his presence for the first time in such a tangible way. I understood what real intimacy with the Father was like. The security and confidence of knowing and feeling and experiencing that God has chosen me. It washes over me afresh every time that I really remember this. There can be no greater security as a son than to feel close to your Father. What a day to remember, church. Oh, something is reviving inside of me. And every time I focus and remember that day, it revives me with the feeling of being secure, untouchable. A son that is in the safety of this father. It revives in me that I am a son that is standing so close to his father. I can feel his face next to mine and bringing me great comfort that my father is near me. 
Oh, but that's not all I feel that revives me. I also feel the sudden rush of his tangible power flowing through me, reviving my inner man and providing the force needed to propel others right into his presence. You know, I was there when that happened to Matthew. I was standing on the outside looking at it. It was an unmistakable change. And as he's describing it now, it revives other things in me. I remember what it was like to be on the outside yeah. looking in. Yeah. I got to be honest, the separation that I felt between me and my friend, that he was standing in the sanctuary of the Lord. And although I had all of the right words, I had never experienced Ooh. the power of his presence. Well, it was painful. And it eventually led to my salvation. Church, have you, uh, have you been remembering? Yes. See, we, we know that you're good sons. We know that you're the kind of sons that do your homework because you've learned to trust our Heavenly Father. I mean, he's the good shepherd. That's true. We know that you believe that he's working through the shepherds of this church who have the awesome task of shepherding your soul. So let me ask you again. Have you been doing your homework? Yes. Have you been remembering and reliving it? Yes. Mm. Have you been reviving and retelling the first experience that you had with the Lord's presence? Yes. Then we'll move on to step do. <laughs> hey, do we have a slide here? We're going to be working through these. And in step two, our second remember in the book of Deuteronomy, it is meant to make secure sons. So let's just read Deuteronomy 5.15. Remember that you were. Somebody say were. Were. Now if you are presently, <laughs> we'll deal with that later. We're actually talking to sons that we want to make secure. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Were. You hear how it's past tense? Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there yeah. with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Look, only after experiencing the remembrance, the revival, the reliving of his presence, does the Lord tell you to remember that you were slaves and that he brought you out of there. See, you can't remember what you were if you still are. This remember is second because if you don't have an experience in his presence, you can't remember what you were because it's what you still are. Come on. Thinking about what I was, I remember. I remember that I used to feel such deep despair. It was like something was choking me all of the time. It's agony to not be able to get away from that. I remember the feeling of futility. I started to believe that it really didn't matter what I did because it was all meaningless anyway. I was described as a happy person by most, but anger was boiling in me all of the time. And I didn't want it, but I couldn't stop it. 
I was enslaved to behaviors that I knew were wrong and wanted to stop. I was powerless. These feelings weren't the exception in my life. They were predominant, and I was enslaved to them. I used to have no choice. Somebody say no choice. No, no choice. choice. I was powerless. No amount of self-control. No amount of determination. I was a determined man, but no amount of determination, no amount of striving allowed me to stop sinning or to be able to do what was right. I don't know what was worse, the things that I did or that I could not stop doing them. If the disciples' eyes were heavy at Gethsemane, y'all remember that message? And no amount of their commitment could overcome their slumber without heavenly help or heavenly transformation. Saints, what I'm describing to you is my soul was heavy. The spirit within me was actually heavy. And no amount of commitment, discipline, or hard work could overcome that feeling. What a terrible, terrible position to be in. To be truly, utterly powerless. I remember exactly what that was like. See, the scripture that's on the screen tells you to remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out. He doesn't tell them to remember their specific sins. You're not making a laundry list of all the things that you did. We don't have enough paper for that. What he's calling them to remembrance of is not the specific sins because those are just fruit of their status as slaves. He's calling them to remember what it felt like to be a slave. Powerless, without choice. My God, church, I got to tell you, when I remember my slavery, I remember being a slave to feeling worthless. My every action was a slave to this feeling. I just would try harder and harder and harder because no matter what happened, no matter the accolade, no matter what I received, I still was a slave to being the feeling of worthlessness. So my answer was just to try harder and fail and try harder and fail. All the while, I was afraid that everyone would actually see and somehow it would be exposed of how worthless I really was. Worthlessness, striving, fear was purposeless. How could I walk in purpose? I was too busy trying to mitigate my own worthless feelings. And I was helpless to do anything about it. See, like Peter, I wanted better. I was declaring that I could do better. I was hoping for better. I'll try even harder. I'll try really, really, really hard. I'll be committed. I'll try really hard to be better. And all the while, I was denying the truth of my slavery. I had no power. I had no choice not to be this way. That meant I was denying him over and over again. The more striving I did, the more worthless I felt. Wow. The harder I tried, the more worthless and afraid I was. I was denying him over and over and over again, running and controlled completely by my slavery. 
I denied him. I denied what he wanted for me. I was a slave. I had no choice. I was helpless. I was hopeless to be able to stop. That's what my slavery looked like. I can't help but think about that God didn't tell me to. And I'm not going to recount my specific sins. I remember what I felt when I was a slave for the very actions of my own sinful nature. There was an emptiness, hollowness within me. I felt it. I made every effort to fill it. And it could not remove this feeling of having a bottomless void in the center of my soul. Everything I did, everywhere I turned, it was always there asking for more. I also felt alone. I could be surrounded, but standing in a place of feeling rejected, abandoned, and isolated. It led me also to feeling even worse than alone and rejected, an impending judgment just hanging over my head at all times, no matter how much I tried to ignore it. It was there. I felt like I could be struck dead at any moment and that I deserved it. And that led to an absolute feeling of being desperate. The imagery that I can try to build best illustrate that. I was like a man that was sliding down a wet cliff. My fingers grasping deep into the wet mud. And the more that I would dig them in and try to pull myself up, the greater rate I would slide deeper into it. I felt hopeless. Reflecting on that, I can relate to Mephibosheth. I was already a dead dog. I didn't need somebody to kill me or felt that I needed to go and kill myself. I already knew that I was dead and there wasn't anything I could do to change what I felt. What an awful position it is to be so helpless, to be so hopeless. Saints around the world Men's sins have taken various and diverse forms. But the reality is, whether you live in India or East Europe or Africa or the southern part of the United States or the northern part, they're all produced from the same status and the same state. This experience that you're hearing related, it's universal for those that have actually had an encounter with God. I want to tell you, a huge percentage of Christians, men that call themselves, they don't have this experience because they've never had an encounter with God and they're not really Christians. There really is no position that a man can come to him from, not anywhere on the earth other than powerlessness. The apostle Paul makes this point. He makes this point in Romans 5, verse 6. You see, at just the right time, 
when we were still, what's that word? Powerless. Say it again. Powerless. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But, or how much more, or Calvay Comer, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners or slaves, Christ died for us. Our Father wants, to remem wants us to remember the first day we stood in his presence. He wants us to remember the agony of the slavery, the depths of our feelings of bondage and helplessness to do anything about that situation so that we can remember he brought us out of there and with a mighty arm. Look, church, the truth is, is we couldn't change our status. You couldn't transform yourself in this process. I couldn't my, make myself any better or my situation better. But he did. Yeah. He came in with a mighty arm and an outstretched hand. And he moved upon me and transformed me and brought me out of slavery. Look, after hundreds of years in slavery as a nation. For Israel, this is day one of the transformation into what they will be. Somebody say day one. Day, day one. one. The initial freedom did not come through their striving, through their depth of commitment, or through their hard work. And neither would the remaining transformation be dependent on their very arm. Christianity has been presented as so transactional that we've been thinking about ways to help you understand the truth versus the popular myth that most of you have already accepted in your life. And are now trying to weed it out of your life. Yeah. You should never have peaked on the first day of your salvation. So we recently were reading a, a, an article about a man who was imprisoned in his teenage years. Something like 14 when he goes into jail. And he was imprisoned because of his own crimes. And with the stroke of a pen. And in an instant. He was released from jail at 34 years old. The title to the article was called Transition to Freedom. We want to tell you a little bit about this article. See, unlike Christian fiction or Christian fantasy or Christian theology, which sometimes all appears to be the same thing, the article did not focus on the years of crime and end with the stroke of a pen that resulted in freedom. Absolutely not. This article was much more honest than most of the church world. The article began with the freeing stroke of a pen and then focused on the man's transition after prison into the freedom of the outside world in the following decades. The former prisoner who is now released, he had to learn to be free in his new status. He now had a choice about so many things. When he was a prisoner, he had no choice about anything. The man had previously had no power of any kind. And now, with his new status, he had the power to choose. He had the power to choose what he would eat. He had the power to choose 
what time he would wake up. He had the power to choose if he would take a shower, <laughs> much like the young man in our room. Amen. He also had the power to choose what he would wear. For the first time in his life, he had the power to choose whether he would go out that day or stay in. He had the power to choose who he would associate with or who he would not associate with. Man, he had the power to choose what activities he would or would not engage in that day. For the first time in his life, he had the power to choose what he would want his vocation to be. He had the power to actually choose who or if yeah. he would even marry someone. <laughs> wow. See, this former prisoner had never had the power to, to make these kind of choices before. And now he had been set free. He had been empowered. Yeah. He had been given a new status precisely for the freedom to make some great choices. Yeah. Now, this article was humanistic. And it rightly identified the challenges the man faced, but came to all the wrong conclusions. To see the information and come to wrong conclusions. Think about it. This man that we're talking about, he was completely unprepared. Yeah. He was completely ill-equipped. He was completely inadequate to make any of the new choices that stood before him on a daily way, in a daily way. The article, of course, called for the need for more social services so that the blind could then lead the formerly blind right back in a ditch. <laughs> that is not why our father is telling us to remember that we were slaves and that he brought us out. The same one who initially granted our free status is continuing to instruct us on how to be transformed into a life of freedom. So consider Deuteronomy 5.15 again. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there. Yeah, he did. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Look, freedom... Is not, say is not, is not, just being let out of the cage. We need you to tune in with what we are saying here. Pastor just said freedom is not about being let out of the cage. Freedom is what I do now that I am out of the cage. Freedom is not the initial release. It is the life after the release. We're attempting to adjust your long-held previous beliefs that are all wrong. The goal is not just to escape the powerless position of being in a cage. Come on. It is to be empowered to live the life you were destined for outside of the cage. Amen. Wow. And the Lord does this by instructing them commanding them to observe the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath is designed. It is a framework. It is a weekly reminder and an initiation into a life of transformation. Yeah. Are y'all catching that? A lifetime of transformation. One that depends 
for sure on the freeing power of day one. But it's supposed to be relied upon on day two and on day three and day four and day 10,000 and as many days as you have. Listen, we want to be clear. On day one, the transformation is not over. It has literally just begun. Our father wants secure sons, and he has a, uh, a vocational training program. Oh, come on now. One to train you to live in the outside world that you are so unprepared for. And it begins with this basic structure. Take a look at this slide. Sabbath days, high appointed days. If we engage with this slide, understand we put it together from Leviticus 23 and other places, but it's largely outlined in Leviticus 23. Remember that as a slave, on no day could you do what you wanted to do. Slaves didn't have two-day weekends. Slaves didn't have one-day weekends. Slaves had no day that was any different than any other day. And to initiate them into... The life that God was freeing them for, the first thing that he does is put 52 evenly dispersed times that were appointed for them to specifically remember the day they stood in his presence and the way he brought them out of slavery, completely changing their status. Yeah. What would it do for your security as a son to have 52 evenly spaced days of remembrance every single year that were focused on retelling, reliving, re-experiencing this kind of freedom? See, in addition to that, during the springtime, during Pesach, you would spend seven full days remembering the freeing blood of the Lamb. Yeah. The desire to Come search on. your own home for leaven. Come and on. the good things that your new freedom was starting to produce yeah. seven days in a row in the springtime to help you to remember what he had done. To help you to remember the slavery that you're in and what he brought you out of. Come on. In addition to the 52 weekly times... Seven days in a row. What kind of remembering? What would this do for your security as a son? Come on. Look, it continues. In the summertime during Pentecost, you would remember the result of his presence. You would remember that your newfound freedom was producing a harvest by his spirit. And you would remember that, look, formerly you had nothing. But now... Now you have an abundance, and it is only due to his presence. Hey, some of you in here right now need to remember that formerly you had nothing. So that you can appreciate the difference between what you were and what God has done now. In remembering that you formerly had nothing, but now... Looking at the abundance of harvest that he's given you. What does that do for you to bring you into a place of having security as a son? 
As the year progressed, in addition to the 52 evenly dispersed weekly Sabbaths, in addition to the springtime feast, in addition to the summertime feast, eventually you get to fall. How many of you love that time of year? Leaves are changing. Yeah, lives are to be changing too. Because every fall, the Feast of Trumpets, you would remember that the same judge who freed you was going to hold the world accountable for every action done in the body, whether good or bad. You would remember that every man who had been given freedom would be held accountable for how they lived in that freedom. Now, there's a beautiful side of this too. Can you imagine how free you would feel from the need to keep a record of wrongs? Every fall, every time the trumpet came out, you'd remember it's not your job. You could let go of those sinful slights. You could distance yourself from the need to be telling of all of the times you've been so disadvantaged. You get to remember this every fall. You'd remember that you were once a slave. And now you had made it all the way to the fall. Come on. <laughs> As fall continues to progress, we get to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, you would remember that the judge still pardons free people who have repeated their crimes <laughs> even after they're released from prison. Woo. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that again. This is not for someone else. This is for us today. Don't let there be a haziness in your thoughts right now, a cloudiness, because what we're bringing to you is life and it is going to help you in every way. That during Yom Kippur, you get to remember that the judge still pardons free people who've repeated their crimes even after they've been released from prison. This is a testimony builder that since I got saved, let me tell you how much he has saved me from. Yeah. An yeah. ongoing way to remember time after time. What would this do for your security as a son? Woo. Oh, it gets even better. At the end of the fall season during the Feast of Tabernacles, you would remember the years and stages of your journey from the initial release up and until your present status of transformation. Remembering that you were slaves, but that he also brought you up out of there and brought you to this current status of being transformed. What would, what would that do for you as a security, as a son? This wasn't just the first year they came out. This is every year. It's a life of remembering, a life of honoring, a life a full of gratitude for what God has done and is doing and will do. In case you missed it all through the seven feasts, they appointed an eighth day. It's, it's not really the end of the feast of Sukkot. It's kind of like an, an add-on. Just in case you didn't get it. A special <laughs> eighth day assembly after tabernacles is over. Just to make sure that you didn't miss the point. The eighth day assembly 
called people to celebrate the progress that they had made since they had been released from slavery. Come on. To acknowledge yes. that they were in the process of being transformed into a prince with God. Amen. Now, there were at least 70 times in every year. You do that math, you never go five days without remembering. There are at least 70 times in every year to review, remember, relive, retell, and thus revive yeah. the initial transformation. Because the initial transformation was always intended to be perpetual. Your release from slavery. It was a beginning. It was never an ending. It is a starting line. We must not consider it a finish line. Amen. Amen. Praise God I got saved. Day one. Somebody say day one. Day, day one. Was a birthing into a new status. That you would have to grow in. Yeah. You would have to gain ground in. And the goal was to become what your father is. How far do we have to go? Man. You're not done. Day one was a birth. That's it. The rest of the transformation is ahead of us. You Amen. need to be transformed. Amen. Come on, let's take a look at this in a LCM kind of fashion here. Let's go law prophets writings on this idea. Everyone, turn with us to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And let's look at verse 1. It says this. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. See, every single command that God gives his people after their initial experience is meant to aid their transition into the life of freedom Amen. until they are transformed yeah. into what their father is. Amen. Remembering his presence and what he did to give them new status should make his commands and his voice the only thing that matters in the new outside world that they're encountering. You follow that? You're unprepared to live in the new status that he gave you, which makes you dependent on his voice. He wanted that. And it means that every command that he gives you is helping you, hear it, transition into the freedom. You're given the status as a free man. And now you have to transition in what, what it's like to live as God lives. On day one, they were given the new status. Every day after that, they would encounter increasing levels of freedom and transformation. They did not peak, as so many Christians do, on day one. Best day of my life! was the day I got saved, then your life is far below what Christ wants it to be. Our vernacular is so wrong with this. Best day of my life was the day I got married. Then your marriage sucks. 
These are beginnings. They are not finish lines. And it has produced a transactional faith that has made people deceived. Well, I got saved when I was eight. Now I'm just trying not to screw it up. It's like saying I was born and I'm trying not to grow up and just trying not to die. Mm. They didn't peak on day one. They started a new life. They started a new journey. They embarked in the process of using their freedom to become mature and secure sons that were like their father. Amen. Let's all turn to Joshua chapter 24. I'm going to go to the prophets now. Joshua 24, and we're going to begin in verse 5. Somebody say, remember when you get there. It says this, then I sent Moses and Aaron and I afflicted the Egyptians, but what I, by what I did there and I brought you out when I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea and the Egyptians pursued them with their chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Church, look, sometimes when we look back on our initial transformation, we tend to do something. We lump years of progress into just one event. This is a mistake. You may not mean to, but you are lessening the actual process of being free, but gaining freedom. Of being transformed, but progressing in transformation. Notice, decades after the first Passover, Joshua is still describing the transition to freedom and the very process of transformation. Decades afterwards, he's still describing stages of it. I want to walk you through a little bit of that that he doesn't mention. That, that way you'll just, you'll have an idea. The Israelites are first released from death in the plague of the firstborn. Everybody remembers that, right? Yeah. We should remember that. But it's more than that. They begin to leave Egypt after that. You know that they have to journey from Ramses to Succoth? Then they had to journey from Succoth to Etham. You thought you lived in a difficult place. They're still journeying. The scripture declares that days and nights pass by between those events because the Lord led them during the daytime and the nighttime and never failed to. So we know days are passing between those events. Then they traveled from Ethem to Pi-ha-haroth, which is between Migdol and the sea. And you know what happened there? Days, maybe even weeks after they had put the blood of the lamb on the door, after the plague of the firstborn, after they began their march out. Do you know what happened to them there? They felt every bit as trapped as they had been in the centuries of slavery before. Come on. They felt the sentence of death every bit as much as they ever had before. Yeah. Even though they were free. Come on. The Exodus was a series of transformative events. There's an entire book that's trying to get you to understand that this is a series of events. When did the Exodus happen? Was it the night that that the death angel passed over? Well, sure, that was the beginning. Was it when they got to the Red Sea? Was it 
There is a series of transformative events where they are constantly needing God's power. What does that mean for us in the room? That means your salvation starts with his presence and him having delivered you out of your status as a slave. But can any person, can any man or woman in this room honestly say that the process is not still ongoing? Every time they had to learn to cry out yeah. to the Lord. And as they cried out, he delivered them. Amen. They were free from the plague of the firstborn. But they were not yet free from the Red Sea. We are free, and yet we are transitioning to freedom. Yeah. We are being transformed yeah. into what our Father is. Amen. This is a series Man. of transformative events. Look, there's some furrowed brows in the room. And I want you to know how much I love you desperately. And I hope it personally offends you. I, I'm working very hard to make sure that you cannot walk away and go, I knew that, because our lives show that we don't. There should be no month, no year, no decade, no bunch of decades in your life that you are not being transformed Amen. or you're kind of a stillbirth Christian. Yeah. He wants to grow us up and to do that, you cannot view it as all done when you were eight at a Billy Graham crusade. It wasn't done. It's still not done. The very nation that he led out of the Exodus still does not occupy the land grant to Abraham in the way that God said they would. They're in process, but they will. Amen. You're in process too. Yeah. And with a little bit of faith in your father, a little bit of remembering, you'll complete this process too. Yeah. Look, in the, the goal of becoming secure sons, it requires that there is ongoing transformation. And the quicker that our hearts can embrace and love that, the quicker we're going to become secure sons. Let's all turn to Psalm chapter 81. We're going to pick up in verse 8. Say remember whenever you get there. Pastor, be patient. They're still in the process of getting there. Amen. They've declared it but have not yet arrived at it. So it's not as if having a Bible on your lap is the same as actually turning to the passage. I'm proud that many of them at least have a Bible on their lap. Some don't. <laughs> Are you ready, church? Ready. Psalm 81.8. Hear me, my people, and I will warn you. If you would only listen to me, Israel, you shall have no foreign god among you. You shall not worship any god other than me. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Again and again, remembering that he is the God that brought us up out of Egypt is the predicate to the next thing that you now know he wants to do. See, church, he started a process in you by granting you new status as a son. Yeah. And he's not going to stop that process no. until you have transitioned into all freedom and are transformed <laughs> into exactly what your father is. Man, isn't that good news? Yeah. Look, as a son, what do you need? You need mashed potatoes, green beans, 
As a son, you need food. How about this? You need to know what to say. Come on, ministry training one students. What kind of help do you need as a son? But understand this. Your father knows that he freed you and that you are woefully prepared for the life of freedom in the outside world. That's true. Dependence on him from day one until the end is everything. Open your mouth and he will fill it. After all, what father, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a snake? How much more will he give you his Holy Spirit? Come on. Thousands of years of preaching have reduced a relationship to a transaction. It has portrayed a debt paid as a man freed. When the Bible actually portrays salvation as a journey where a father is guiding his infant son through the process of becoming a mature man, Amen. secure and transformed into what his father is. That is the biblical picture of salvation. Notice how the Newer Testament writers begin to portray this, and you might see verses you've read all of your life in an entirely new way. Come on, let's take a new look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and we're going to begin in verse 32. Go ahead, keep transforming your Bible right to John chapter 8. It says this, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Yeah. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen. Look, church, in the eighth chapter of John. Jesus is addressing the community of God and more specifically, the portion of the community that is said to believe. And yet, even in that context, look at the progression of this. So in verse 32, you see it. Then you will know the truth and somebody say and and the truth will set you free. So you first have a revelation of the truth and then you embark on a journey in his presence that continually is setting you free. It's not a one-time transaction. It is an ongoing relationship. You may very well have been set free from everything you knew about when you were eight. But I imagine you've invented and found new things that you now have to be set free from since you were eight. Something's wrong with the way that we view this. We need to grow up in our salvation. The truth is constantly being poured into us and constantly setting us free. Amen. 
Old time pastors used to call this sanctification. But the problem with that is in preaching about sanctification, I don't see saints being made. So we wanted to bring it into familial concepts. You are a child with the Lord holding his hand. And that truth will continually transform you, set you free as you grow into what your father is. And we're not there yet. Look at verse 36. This says and continues this thought. So if the son sets you free, you will be free. This means the son releases you from the cage of your sin. Praise God. But you still will be freed as you learn to walk in this. There is an immediate status change. But you must grow in it. You must make gains in it progressively over the course of your lifetime. This is freeing for you. But you need to be more free. You have been set free. But you must learn to walk and be transformed into freedom. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Come on church, say I'm going to grow. And I'm going to gain. I'm going to gain. Now go with me to Galatians chapter 5. This is more than a song lyric. It's not, it's not just Daryl Evans in the 90s making an album. You're going to engage with this text as pastor reads it to you. And I promise you're going to hear it differently than you used to. Is everybody there? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let me read this again to you. I want to emphasize it and I want you to pay attention. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It would be so easy to miss that two different things are being discussed here in this passage. Now that you have been set free, like the prisoner in our earlier example, you realize that the purpose of your release was to be ever increasing in a life of freedom. This is vastly different than gaining everything you could ever hope for. All done on day one. And now, Lord, just don't let me screw it up. You already have. (laughs) In fact, if that's been your understanding of salvation, of course you have the constant feeling that I should be beyond this by now. You've not left yourself any room to grow. Of course you want to hide sin. Of course you feel terrible when you're corrected or confronted because you don't expect to grow. You're just trying not to screw up what you were given. That's not Christianity. What Christianity actually is, is very much like one of those grandbabies holding my hand, stepping where I step and growing into a man. That's what's happening to us. We're being transformed. We have to remember the day we stood in his presence and remember what we were prior to his presence so that we can begin to enumerate progress since day one. Amen. Come on now to remember our slavery helps us to remember that you had no choice. You were powerless. And now, now when he brings you out, you have been given freedom to choose and you've been given power to be transformed. This is the only issue in all of the world that we are pro-choice on. (laughs) You're understand that. It's okay. It's okay. 
We're four babies, and we now believe that you have the power to choose righteousness instead of being a wicked, lying, murdering scumbag. Church, you've been given... (laughs) Come on now. Church, you've been given freedom to choose and the actual power to be transformed. Your life is supposed to be a series of consecutive choices over and over and over again for a lifetime in an ongoing perpetual way so that you can be transformed and give him glory through your life. Oh, come on, saints. Power to choose is just not the selection of who's going to provide you electricity at your home. It's the power to choose the heavenly power of God that is transforming you on an ongoing basis. So I want to ask you something. Why does he tell us to remember the first day we stood in the Lord's presence and then to remember we were slaves and were brought out? Because he wants us to always be remembering, retelling, reliving, reviving the idea that when his presence shows up, there is increasing freedom even for the secure son. In fact, That's where the son's security lies. Do you intend to be in his presence only once in your life? Was your heyday sometime back in the 70s? Look at 2 Corinthians 3.17. Again, great song lyric, except it's relatively meaningless when you treat it like a song. Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is Freedom. What caused all of those feelings of slavery to move out of your life? His presence. What causes now that you are free for you to be able to walk in freedom? His presence. How can you identify when you are returning to slavery and when you are walking in freedom? The presence or absence of his presence. Are you a son that has been freed from the cage of sin, but still has prison habits and activities in you? Don't excuse yourself of that too quickly. Wrestle with that for a minute. Let out of the jail cell, but so many of the prison time habits are still there. Because you now have a choice. You used to have no choice. But you now have a choice to ask. To ask for the transforming presence of the Lord. Which will empower you to live in the freedom that you were set free for. Church, there's more. You got to ask for it though. You're not already there. Where are your prison habits? Because you have to ask to be transformed. You have to ask. It wasn't all done at the cross for you. He did everything that needed to be done at the cross for you to avail yourself of being set free and then moving into a life of freedom. But you surely haven't done everything 2,000 years ago when he died on a cross. Yeah. Church, are you out of Goshen, but still being trapped by the Red Sea? See, because you have now 
been given a choice. You can ask for the transforming presence of the Lord, which will empower you to live in the freedom that you were set free for. You've not only been set free from things, but there is a freedom that you've been set free for that you still must walk in. Hey, are you a a born-again believer? Having been in the kingdom for 40 years? Set free from a cage of sin, but still trapped by your own insecurities? Trapped by your fears of provision or fears of what to say? Open your mouth and he will fill it. Because you now have a choice to ask for the transforming presence of the Lord, which will empower you to live in the freedom that you were set free for. I want to read to you Galatians 4, verse 31. There's a very complicated metaphor in Galatians. We could fight about it all day. You'd lose, so I don't want to put you in that position. And pick up at the conclusion. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free women, woman. Saints of this house, we have been born into freedom. And yet in many ways, we are children. And we must grow up into the freedom for which we were set free. First Peter 2.2 tells us plainly to grow up in our salvation. Because this entire walk is a life of transitioning into freedom and transformation into what our Father is. When you really understand what Pastor Eric just said, it really causes what Paul and Timothy tell the church at Philippi. It causes it to be so pertinent and pivotal to our understanding today. Let me read to you Philippians 1 and verse 6. It says, being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you. He began it. He began it. Will in fact carry it on into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There can be confidence that he who started it is continuing the transition process. Church, you were set free on day one. An infant son with a completely new status. Now the transition into a life of freedom continues on and it will come to completion as you are transformed into what your father is. Look, being let out of the cage is the starting line. It is clearly not the finish line. He began the work in you and he will carry it on to completion. If you're not exactly as your father is, then your transition into freedom is still ongoing. And so is your need for for transformation. Let me say it again. If you are not exactly as your father is, then your transition into freedom is still happening. And so is your need for transformation. Wow, I want to think about that. If the beginning was glorious, if the beginning is worth reliving, reliving, What will the completion of the process be like? Saints, make no mistake about it. Being set free is glorious. Full transformation is even more glorious. And we are in that process. This will keep you from getting discouraged when you find out that you're failing in an area. You just 
identified an area that you will be transformed in and become Come like you're, you're growing. Amen. Look, as we move to a close, we want to introduce two radical ideas for you. Okay? And we are closing. So tell your body to obey what your spirit knows is right for the Amen. next few minutes. Amen. I mean, it's been an hour and three minutes. I bet you could sit at a football game for longer than an hour and three minutes. Dial in. Your life literally may depend on it. Yeah. Turn with us to Jeremiah 16. Jeremiah 16, and we're going to begin in verse 14. Come on, let's consider carefully what the word of God is saying right here in this passage. Jeremiah 16, 14, it says this. However, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be said, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt. But it will be said, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he banished them. For I will restore them to the land I gave their forefathers. Look, from this passage, it is entirely possible to glean that the initial deliverance of God's children will pale in comparison to the transformation that takes place after they've been set free. It is for freedom that he set you free. It's also clear that the God of your initial deliverance is the God of perpetual deliverance. Yeah. Yes. It's clear that Israel is on a journey into maturity, and so are those who are saved by the king of Israel. Yeah. It's clear that the end of the matter is far better than its beginning. Amen. Amen. When a man is set free, he then begins a lifelong transition into ever-increasing freedom. This must be our view of what we are engaging in and the only right biblical view. See, when a man is transformed, he then begins a lifelong process of being ever transformed Amen. until he is what his father is. See, our God knows exactly how to make secure sons, and that's what he's building here in this house. Hey, let's get a second radical idea found in the book of Revelation. So turn to the book of Revelation chapter 19. We'll start with verse 5. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord, our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. From this passage, it's entirely possible to glean that you've been set free. That you are no longer powerless choiceless you now have the freedom and the power to choose to be transformed you have the freedom of choice 
to be in a lifestyle of continual transformation. Your aim, the aim of the bride of Christ, is literally to become one new entity with your God and Savior, the groom. You're to share his actual likeness. Literally sit on the throne of Jesus Christ as he sits on his father's throne. Yeah. Literally to be one with him as he is one with his father. That's the goal. Galatians says it. It is for freedom that he set you free. Yeah. We want to close here. And I want to tell you, some of you have very serious choices to make. But you have the freedom and the power to make them. Amen. God wants secure sons. He'll help you in your choices. He will help you in your transformation. Amen. This other thing that he did it all and I'm just trying not to screw it up. No wonder you stay in guilt and shame all of the time. He wants to transform you. Not once. Not twice. Many Many times in every area where you still have a prison habit. Come on. And he will do it. But you have to choose to ask him. Or you can accommodate your weakness and run off like a little prison bride. But if you choose to be transformed, he will meet you in that choice just like he did the first yeah. day. Amen. And he will Amen. do... Now, what he did then, free you from prisoner habits. Amen. The choices that you have to make today are going to result in your transformation or your condemnation. That's what the kind of choice that is set before you today. God has given you freedom. He's given you power to make this kind of choice, to find the transformation that you need. But God help us for the ones in the room who won't make that choice. We desire that you make that choice today. Amen. If you're wondering who, like who could he be talking? I'm talking about you. Yeah. Yeah. We're all talking. There's nobody not from elder to child in this room that does not need further transformation. There's nobody in here that should be checking their watch because you just can't wait to get out of here. Friend, you're not there yet. You need to be transformed. And... You don't know how many days you get to do that. That's right. Saints, your father is here right now. He's here right now wanting to help you make the transition in your freedom. Here to help you be transformed into who he is. But there's something that you need to do. You need to invite his presence into your situation today. You haven't been set free. You must grow into your freedom. So why don't you stand with me now? As I pray, now, now is the time for your heart and actions to respond to this call. Come and seek the face of your Father. He will help you in your transition to freedom. He will help you in being transformed. Let our hearts cry out to Him in His throne. And let's walk 
in that ongoing transformation today. Mighty God, we thank you for your word that pierces our own soul and gives us the hope as secure sons. That you are leading us into further transformation. You are leading us into further freedom as secure sons. We say, let your presence come down now. Let us dwell in your presence that you would help us remember and help us be transformed today.